Um, I heard a story about a husband and a wife that woke up one Sunday morning. Um, like uh, most Sunday mornings, they went off to church together. Well, as they were getting ready to go to church that morning, the wife was just about done in the bathroom. A few finishing touches. Right, ladies? And she comes out of the bedroom and she realizes that her husband is laying in bed again. And she says, get up, we got to go to church, it's time to go. And he said, I want to go. And she goes, give me one good reason why. He goes, I'll give you three good reasons why I don't want to go to church this morning. Number one, he said, the people at that church are cold and uncaring. And number two, he said, nobody there likes me. And the third reason is, I just don't feel like it. Well, the wife responded with, I'll give you three reasons why you should go, honey. Those people at that church are warm and they're very caring, and a few people do like you, and you're the pastor. (laughs) That story is definitely not my story. I love coming here on Sunday. I love being your pastor. I really love my job. It's a blessing. Um... If this was just a job, however, I would have quit a long time ago. You should know that. Uh, I've been pastoring now for uh, 16 years, I think, is the total are coming up on. And um, in every church, every organization, because it involves people, there's always conflict from time to time. Would you agree with that? I mean, there's just going to be conflict. The church is not exempt from conflict, and I've had my share of it over the years, and there's been times where I've been super discouraged as a pastor, and, and I just um, thought to myself, uh, you know, I just would just assume quit. I would rather just step away, and then I would have a talk with God, <laughs> and God would say, nope, you're staying. <laughs> so here I am, <laughs> right, uh, after all these years, and I'm so thankful, as I said, what God is doing here um, in this sweet season. Isn't this a sweet season of, of life? Just what God is doing at Life of Purpose. It's so wonderful. Um, but the truth about being a pastor, the truth about being a church leader um, in any role is that you don't want to do it unless you are called by God. You must be called by God. If you decide on your own that you're going to be a church leader, trust me, you won't last long. You'll quit. You'll give up. You'll be gone. I just heard one of our church leaders just laugh at that. Because she knows it's true, right? The sheep, that's you by the way, uh, the sheep often like to wander off and do their own thing and, you know, as much as we try to get them to come back, you know, they just get lost sometimes. Sheep bite, you know, sheep kick, even when we're trying to help, you know, that, that happens. Um, but, uh, and, and when it happens, sometimes, honestly, quitting feels like the greatest option. But you should know this, if God calls you into something, then you need to be patient and be wise and wait for him to call you out of something. If God calls you to a church, then you need to wait until God calls you out of a church. I think that's important that we understand that God calls and that we listen to that. Um, I want to share with you, can I share with you how um, God called me to be a pastor here at Life Purpose? That's good, because I'm going to anyway, you know, you know, that's my notes. So it was January 2006. Jamie and I started attending this church, not here. Our daughter was just about one years old, 
and Abe was just about a year old. And they, uh, um, Carrie and Joe, Joe was up here praying for the offering. They were, uh, are, I think, the only people uh, remaining from the, the few people that started this, this church. We came along about six months after the church uh, started. It began in a basement uh, in a family's home in Harrison Township. Uh, then it moved to Lance Cruz Middle School Cafeteria, which is where we spent the majority of our, our time. And like I said, the church had about 20 adults, a few kids. And at that time, they were looking for a bivocational pastor. That means a pastor who can support himself financially, support his family, but can still be a pastor. Um, really, there's no such thing as a bivocational pastor. If you ask any of them, they'll tell you it's a full-time job, but uh, you know, you just don't get paid full-time salary. But that's bivocational. Spent most uh, 14 years doing that. Um, but based on um, when we were attending, um, before I became the pastor, um, we, we were in a phase of life where I started to sense that God was calling me to do that. He, he wanted me to be um, the pastor and then specifically of that church. We had gone to a few churches, um, just kind of visiting around, and God led us to Life of Purpose. And um, <clears throat> at the time of them looking for this bivocational pastor, there was another man in the church who also wanted to be the pastor. Which is always interesting when you have two guys in a church of 20, you know, or 25, and they both want to be pastor. You know, what do you do, right? You're going to hurt someone's feelings, probably. Um, but what you do is, is you, you make sure you listen to God, is what you do. And um, God wasn't calling him. And you say, well, how, how do I know that? I know that because uh, I'm here and he's not. I mean, to be honest... <laughs> Uh, but the reason why is because the church prayed for discernment and they investigated our lives. They specifically investigated my life in terms of 1 Timothy 3. Do I meet the qualifications of being a pastor, which is the, ter- is the qualification of being an elder? They interviewed my wife. They interviewed us as a family and, and they prayed to see if, if this was God's will for the church. Um, God didn't put a neon sign above my head with this big blinking arrow, pick him, you know. That wasn't it. It was prayer, um, and it was due diligence, if you will, through the the Word of God. Now, um, in the beginning of Life of Purpose, uh, being a small church without a pastor, they were extremely democratic. They voted on everything. Everything. They voted on the bylaws, the location, the time to meet, I think they voted whether or not they were going to serve donuts or bagels or Folgers or Maxwell House. I mean, they voted on everything, okay? Um, That's not the biblical way to lead a church, by the way. It's uh, elders should be leading the church um, and the church affirming. But uh, when it came time to vote as um, me being the pastor, I'll never forget the results. I'll never forget the results when they voted. 21 people were there present, 21 adults to vote, and 19 said no and two said yes. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 19 said yes, and uh, two said no. And I'll never know who those two were, and I don't want to know, because God has always used that as a way to keep me humble and to remind me, to remind me that I will never please everyone. And that they didn't call me, he called me. That's the important part. God called me to be a pastor. 
If you've ever been in a position of leadership before in your job, in your school, is it not true you will never please everyone? Yeah, you'll never please everybody. Um, there's always going to be somebody who doesn't like you, thinks that they can do better or somebody else can do better, which is why it's so important when you're serving the Lord to make sure he's calling you to do whatever it is he's called you to do. Now, there's a flip side of this. Just because the majority of, say, a bunch of people want you to be this leader, it doesn't mean God is calling you to be that leader. You have to discern that God is calling you to do, to do that. So, how did I know God was calling me to be a pastor in general? I mean, I, I felt, at that point in 2006, I, I felt like God was calling me to, to be the pastor at Life of Purpose, which they did choose me to be, and that's why I'm here today. But how did I know before that that God wanted me to be a pastor? So I, I'll, I'll go back even, even further um, and explain how that uh, came about. Um, I didn't know it at first, when I first became a Christian. Uh, maybe you're new in your walk with God. Maybe you're coming back. Uh, maybe you had some, some experiences when you were younger um, in the church, and you kind of fell away for a long time. And you're back. And I say praise the Lord for that. And you want to grow in your faith. And that's kind of where I was at in the sense of I was 25 and I didn't know much. I didn't know the core teachings of Christianity, but I really wanted to know. That's what I love about seeing us on Sunday morning and especially when I see you on Wednesday. Because on Wednesday we get really deep into the Word and we study the Bible and the questions that, that come up on Wednesday are just awesome. They're just awesome because people really want to know. They want to they understand the truth. And so I wanted to know the truth. I wanted to understand them. Honestly, I really wanted to renew my mind because I had a whole lot of stinking thinking. 25 years of stinking thinking. The world, uh, in many ways, corrupted my mind. Um, and I needed to renew my mind with truth from God's Word. So I began to read my study Bible that my mom gave me. I read the, the notes that were in the margin. I attended every Sunday that I could. I learned from great Bible teachers. I went on retreats. I belonged to a small group, which was huge for my growth, as I learned how to have a devotional time. I learned how to pray. And I just walked with God every day. And as I began to learn and grow in my faith, God put this really, this, this huge desire in me to teach his word to others. That was, that was something that I felt that God had gifted me to do. And so when the youth pastor at the church that I was attending, Jamie and I were attending, said, um, do you want to teach our middle schoolers? Well, I took that as confirmation that that's, God is calling me to do that. Because I was praying about how can I, I want to do this. I have this desire in me. And then somebody asked me. And it's like, oh, okay, God is doing this. And so I taught middle schoolers. And then I taught high schoolers. And then I started teaching adults. And when Jamie and I first got married in 2002, we started attending a church in Harper Woods. And the pastor asked if I would pray um, for the offering on Sunday morning. Pray for the offering. And uh, it was in front of everyone, and that's a little nerve-wracking sometimes when you have to stand in front of everyone and you have to pray. Um, but uh, I grew into that, and sometimes I would, I would bring a Bible verse up, and I would share a Bible verse. Uh, sometimes I would 
um, teach for just a quick minute about something, or sometimes I would share a, a story, you know, usually a funny one like the one I started off with today. Um, but uh, it was great preparation for what came next. What came next was I asked my pastor if I could preach for him. If I could preach for him. If I could preach on a Sunday. And I really wasn't sure what he would say because I was, you know, really, I mean, I didn't know him all that well. He had only been attending and I didn't, I didn't know him prior to that. And I wasn't sure, but he didn't even hesitate. He said, yes, which I found out later he just needed a break. <laughs> I don't know if you know this or not, but it takes hours of preparation to preach the Bible for 30 minutes. I mean, it takes hours of preparation. In fact, in fact I love this um, example. A pastor friend of mine once said this about preaching, and he had been preaching for 30 years, much longer than I have. He said, you work hard studying all week long and to prepare it. And you put so much time and energy and effort into it and you care for it that this sermon becomes like your baby. And when, when, when you deliver it on Sunday morning, like I'm doing right now, um, afterwards, man, you just feel this tremendous sense of relief. Ladies, if you know what I'm talking about, like after you deliver the baby, all right? And you celebrate that baby, right? So much, I mean, you just love for... And you, as a pastor, you celebrate that baby for like 12 hours because on Monday morning you wake up, you look in the mirror, and you realize, holy cow, I'm pregnant again. And I deliver in six days. That is the God's honest truth of what it's like to be a pastor and have to preach every single week. And, uh, of course, now I uh, am teaching on Wednesdays as well, so I'm pregnant twice a week. <laughs> um, but it's what God has called me to do, and I love it, and I'm just a math guy, so I number the sermons, and today it's number 718 here at Life of Purpose. You know, it's fascinating. It's, it's awesome. But when you're doing what God calls you to do, you get something that most people in this world are looking for. You get peace. You get contentment. You get joy. And that's really, I mean, that's what it's all about, is doing what God has called you to do. I want peace and joy in my life, not just this month. We talk about it at Christmas time, but don't you want peace and joy the other 11 months of the year? You will get it if you do what God is calling you to do. We seem to be wrapped up into a um, culture now that has us doing a whole lot of things. And how many of those things don't really matter in the grand scheme of things, right, in God's eyes? We need to get back to doing what God has called us to do. And um, he's called us to do a lot. I think he's got a lot of work for us to do right here in St. Clair Shores and wherever your neighborhood is. Um, but you won't do it unless you respond to God's call. You've got to pick up the phone. You've got to have the conversation. And that's what we're going to see today in the life of Moses in Exodus 3. God initiates the conversation with Moses. God calls Moses, which is our title, um, and he calls him up for a very important mission, and Moses answers the call. My question is, will you answer the call? Let's pray. Father, have our hearts be open to your word this morning. As we see this call to Moses, may it May it be open, or maybe obvious to us that you've called us. And we need to answer that call. We need to be obedient. We need to walk with you. We need to do what you've called us to do and what, honestly, what you have gifted us to do. Um, you've given us all special gifts to, to serve you and to work 
and to help others. And I pray that we'll do it, Father. I think of that verse in Ephesians 2.10 where you have prepared things for us that we do just step into them and walk into them. And I pray that we'll do that in Jesus' name. And the church said again, Amen. amen. So if you open your Bibles to Exodus 3, Exodus chapter 3, we've covered the first two chapters already. If you missed any of those messages, you can go online, check them out there. We have a YouTube channel there. Um, or on Facebook, all our services are there as well. Um, we're gearing up as part of our um, plans uh, for next year. Part of our a little smidgen of our budget is going towards a couple extra cameras uh, for the, the streaming to be a little more streamlined, if you will, and a little more clear and concise and, and better. So um, we're, uh, we're gearing up for that as well. Um, if you remember last week, chapter 2 of Exodus, Moses, uh, 80 years covered 80 years of his life. Um, three seasons of Moses that we talked about last week, if you remember. The first 40 years, he was pampered in Egypt. He was that prince of Egypt, and he had all kinds of whatever he wanted. And then uh, he made a mistake, tried to do what he thought would be God's plan. It was his plan, and then he got, had to fl flee, had to run. And so then the next 40 years of his life are the years of preparation. And what's interesting is, is that in Exodus 2, it's like two or three verses of that whole 40 years. That's it. Um, what did we find out in those two or three verses? He got married, he had two boys, and he became a shepherd. <laughs> and that's the time of preparation. God, um, well, Moses thought he would make something of himself in Egypt, and then God spent 40 years with Moses and Midian and uh, making him nothing, turning him into nothing. In fact, just to help you understand how God humbled Moses, if you recall the end of Genesis, Joseph, who was Jacob's son, Israel's son, um, got the whole family to move. There was a famine in the land, and they got the whole family to move to Egypt because there was food in Egypt. But the shepherds were, that was Jacob's family, by the way, they were shepherds, Joseph and the family. So they went there, and um, they weren't allowed to be in the sophisticated city of Egypt. Um, because the Egyptians didn't like shepherds. They despised them. So they had to go live in the land of Goshen. And it uh, makes sense. It means the best place to raise the flocks. That was good pasture land there, out there. But the key was that the Egyptians despised shepherds. They didn't want to be with them. They didn't want their smelly shepherds in their beautiful city. So Moses grows up in Goshen. Well, he doesn't grow up in Goshen. He grows up in the city because, you know the whole story from the last couple of weeks, um, he is a Hebrew, but yet he's raised by a royal family, and he's raised to hate shepherds, to look down on shepherds. And then he goes to Midian, and guess what he becomes? A shepherd. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the ways God was preparing Moses. Hey, Moses, you know, here's the, this family he marries into, and it's a shepherd family. So here we go, verse 1. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law. Okay, now Moses is 80. For 40 years, he's been a shepherd. Day after day after day, the shepherd life. Okay, nothing special happening for 40 years. Okay, so he's keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, I like visuals, just like you do. So I have some maps here, and I know 
that depending on where you're sitting, that's actually one of the things we're also going to do is bring in a couple more screens so you can see a little bit better. But if you can see this screen, you probably um, really got to put on your glasses. Uh, but there's, uh, um, there's basically, uh, you can see the land of Goshen is in the upper left, and that was Moses was fleeing to Egypt from there. And you see where, where the Red Sea is kind of uh, got like two little antennas, if you will. Um, you know, that's the Red Sea that Moses will cross at one point. But he flees north of that into Midian out of Goshen. And from there, we got the next one. When he returns, you can see that the normal route that he um, took, where Midian is, as on the right side there, he kind of goes up around the water. This was probably the, the travels of being a, path, uh, a shepherd. He goes up around. And where do pastors... Uh, pastors. That's the word for shepherd. Uh, where do shepherds... Uh, take their sheep in the summer, the hot summer months. Higher, right? They take them up into the cooler air, up the mountain. You know, the Psalm 23, right? We, I preached on that a while ago. Um, the tabletop that's referred to in Psalm is a higher plateau. And so that's what he was doing at this time. And there's Horeb. You can see it. It's at the Sinai Peninsula there. Um, and then the next one is, is what some believe to be Mount Horeb. That's St. Catherine's Cathedral, I believe, at the base. Um, that exists today. Um, that, that could be a picture of, of Mount Horeb because Horeb actually means desert, dried up ground, or mountain range. So it's not, it's not exact. Uh, scholars would debate a little bit. Is Horeb actually a peak? Could be a little peak next to Mount Sinai. Could be the same peak as Mount Sinai. Could just be the mountain range. Okay, so there's some debate. But the next picture you'll love, because that's the picture from the top of Mount Sinai. The top of Mount Sinai is where Moses met with God more than once. This is where that view right there is what he had um, when he wasn't uh, um, talking with God, I guess, when the, twelve, when the Ten Commandments came. You know the Big Ten? Speaking of the Big Ten, no, I won't go the Big Ten. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the big Ten Commandments, and then there's the other 603 that Moses got right there on the top of Mount Sinai. Pretty cool. So Moses is out for a walk, uh, just like every other day for like 40 years, and he's not expecting anything unusual to happen on this day, I would think. But then verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, this bush was not burning, or was burning, but was not being consumed. Some believe that this common thorn bush, the word for this is a common thorn bush, is the same bush that Jesus' crown of thorns was made from. Some believe that. Um, but it, and actually, uh, this, the fact that this sort of random uh, thorn bush was not burning up, or was on fire, was not totally abnormal because in the desert it's hot and sometimes things spontaneously start on fire and burn up. But this thing was not burning up, it was just burning. The fire was just going. The other thing that we see in verse 2 is it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses. The angel of the Lord, as many commentators believe, was Jesus of heaven before he was Jesus of Nazareth. 
The reason is because in John 1, 1, John starts off his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word. Jesus was in the beginning. And, the, and it says, he was with God, he was God. So Jesus existed before he was Jesus. If that doesn't confuse you, I hope it doesn't. He was always, he always has been, because he's God. So that's the uh, angel of the Lord, Jesus pre-incarnate. Um, then we um, talk about the bush again, verse 3. Moses says, huh, I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Let's check this out. What's going on over here? This is interesting. And um, by the way, uh, you may actually have a burning bush in your yard, or certainly you've seen one. I have a picture of one. At our old house, we had one. Um, the burning bush is green most of the year. Then it turns that color. Isn't that pretty? That's what they call the burning bush. How many of you have one or have seen one? Okay, yeah. So, yeah, that's a burning bush. Um, and uh, they call it that because of what happened, what color it turns in the, in the, the uh, fall here. Uh, but Moses didn't see that. He saw a thorn bush on fire. Uh, verse 4, the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see. He got his attention. And God called him out of the bush. Moses. Moses. I don't know why we assume God has a very deep voice. <laughs> Remember the first time you heard Mike Tyson talk? It wasn't the voice you expected. I don't know what we're going to do when, when God talks to us <laughs> audibly for the first time. Or we might be expecting a deep voice and it might not sound like that. I don't know. I just thought of that this morning and I thought, well, that's interesting. But anyway, Moses, Moses, why the double name? Why does he say Moses, Moses? Not the first time. God said, Abraham, Abraham. God said, Samuel, Samuel. Jesus said, Martha, Martha. It shows importance. It shows urgency. Hey, pay attention. When I call it my kids, <laughs> I say it twice. <laughs> Moses responds by saying, here I am. Now you read that and you think that's what he said. That's not what he really said. Our English translation gives three words. Maybe a different translation, King James or something, might give a different um, um, few words there. But there's really just one Hebrew word that Moses said there. It's the word hein, if, that, if I'm even pronouncing it uh, correctly. But it's equivalent to us saying, whoa! I don't know how he said it, but hein! I don't know. <laughs> But it's an expression of surprise. This, like, this bush. I mean, just picture it, right? Like he's, what's going on here, this bush? And then it talks? Moses, whoa! Like that's, that's what happened, right? That's what he says happened, and he wrote it, so he would know. Verse 5, the Lord said, don't come near, because <laughs> that's what he was doing, right? I mean, we're getting closer, we're getting closer. Don't come near, uh, Take off your sandals off your feet. The place which you're standing is holy ground. Now, what makes this holy ground? Boy, over the years, being a pastor, I've had some interesting requests, as you can imagine. But one of those requests was, at one time, someone asked if they could bring over some trinket that they had. I don't know if it was a, a cross or whatever. And that I would bless that trinket so that they could take that trinket to their um, um, person that they loved who was in the hospital. I, I passed. 
Okay, I pass because I don't believe that what I do makes anything holy. God's presence made this place holy. This building is currently a holy place because you are in it. And if the Holy Spirit dwells in us as believers, then we're in a holy place. God's presence makes something holy. When we all leave and this place is empty and we turn off the lights, it's just a building with cement and wood and windows and lights. It's not a holy place. If God shows up at the junkyard on Grosbeck, it's holy ground. Hard to believe, I know, but it's holy ground. That's what makes something holy. Now, why did God have Moses remove his shoes? Culturally, humility makes a sign of humility, I suppose. Well, the voice goes on to say, he's introducing himself to Moses, I'm the God of your father, Amram. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at that point, Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Think about this. How many, how, how many seconds can you stare at the sun? Not long, right? Maybe not even a whole second. Well, that's what happens when you try to look at God. His brilliance, his radiance, his glory will have you hiding your face like Moses and bowing down and worshiping him. Now, this is what Moses uh, hears from God. God has something to say to him. Verses 7, 8, and 9. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I've come down. He's telling Moses why he's coming. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. To that place where the Canaanites live, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I've seen their oppression, of which the Egyptians oppressed them. Do you know what I think is most wonderful about these verses? is that God was up there watching them. God was fully aware of their oppression. And that means God is fully aware of what you're going through right now. God's aware of your trials and your troubles. Everything that you're going through, God sees it. Nothing is hidden from God. He sees it all. And at what point does he come down to rescue you, to help you, to intercede. And when does he do that? And how does he do that? Well, this is how he does it. He says in verse 10, to Moses. It says come, but really the word is better translated go. It's the same word for go. Go, Moses. I'm sending you to Pharaoh so you can bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt, out of that slavery, out of that bondage. Out of that pain, I've chosen you. I will work through you, Moses, to help my people. And this, this, my friends, is why you must answer the call. This is why you have to answer the call to God. Because God will use you to help others. And he's already been doing that in many of your lives. If you're a Christian, God is calling you 
God is calling you. And it may be something small right now. As I told you my own story, God didn't just wake me up one day and be like, okay, start pastoring. It didn't happen like that. It was a process of years of me growing and wanting to to please the Lord and know the truth and teach that truth to others. It's a long process. Maybe right now, God is calling you to go serve in the nursery for one hour a month or greet someone at the door or help them find a seat or serve at a soup kitchen or volunteer um, regularly at Meals on Wheels or, or whatever. God is calling you to do something. And the best part, when God calls you to do something, He's calling you to do what only you can do. Why would God ask you to do something you can't do? He would never do that. He will always do, give you something to do that you can do, or He will equip you to do it. And so you should take comfort in that. God calls you to serve in a way that you can serve. Because I know many of you are very good at something. We're having this church meeting uh, afterwards to uh, kind of vote and approve our budget for 2023. And we talk about um, the, the next year. We always have new business, old business kind of stuff. It's a brief uh, meeting. We don't go too long. But we always have a little discussion. I've been to so many of these meetings over the years. And um, whenever we say, like, how can we do better? You know, how can we do better at Life of Purpose? And there's always good ideas. There's always good ideas. But do you know what every idea needs? Every good idea? Yeah, it needs follow-through. It needs a leader who will carry it through. Doesn't it? I mean, you can, you can have the best ideas. And, and I love coming up with ideas. I mean, I'm a dreamer like others. <laughs> All right, that's what we call them. You know, they're dreamers. But you got to have a leader to carry it through and follow it through. And honestly, that's what we need more than anything. I mean, I, I've just been in so many meetings and, 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 and so many times it's like, oh, we could do this. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, we could. If we just had a leader. We just had someone who would step up and carry it through. And that's what we need more than anything. We need you to answer the call. You know, there's been many of you that have stepped up. I, I, I you know, could give many examples, but I... I just wanted to praise Connie and Vince that they've since they've been here. You might have clapped prematurely. I didn't even say what I was gonna no, praise them. No, but seriously, they they have stepped up and 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 they they lead in certain areas. They do so much stuff behind the scenes. I mean, if you ever showed up during the week, guaranteed you'll see Vince doing something around here. Um, fixing the building, taking care of the building. Connie volunteers and helps in so many different ways and so many different ministries. I mean, all, a lot of people do. I just wanted to point that out, that it, it wasn't that um, we had to beg them to do it. They wanted to do it. They wanted to help. They answered the call. And um, we can do so much more if we all answer the call. And um, I don't know if you know this or not. I kind of realized this later on in life. But God has been preparing you your whole life for such a time as this. To quote the book Esther. God's been preparing you your whole life for such a time as this. God didn't call you to come and sit on your hands. 
God called you to use your hands and your feet to serve, to help others. And there's many ways to do it. Many ways to do it. But I suggest you do it in a way that you're good at. Do something that you're good at for His glory. God can take what you've done in the past, He can take what you know, and He can use that to help others. But it just comes down to this question. Are you available? I know there's a million things you can do in this world today, but are you available? Are you willing to be a blessing to others? Are you ready to make a difference in this new year coming up? And I just pray. I pray that if God is calling you, which I believe he is, you'll pick up the phone and you'll make it happen. Because it's a wonderful thing to do when you serve the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we hear your word, Lord, let it not just go in one ear and out the other. May we hear your word today and truly, truly be honest with ourselves. Father, may you convict us through your Holy Spirit to take a personal inventory of our time spent, our money spent, and that we could organize that, prioritize that, so that we could serve you to help others. God, I pray that we will do that. I pray that we'll be a church that, that doesn't live by that old saying of 10% of the people do 90% of the work, but Lord, that this church will be a church that we all do the work together to bring you glory. I thank you, Father, for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.